Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. You can find that in your Bibles, in your bulletin, or on the screen behind me. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's just pray for the sermon and invite God to work in our hearts. Lord, I'm reminded of how Paul said to the Ephesian elders, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And Lord, before us this morning is the word of your grace in a shining brilliantly, brilliantly from this passage. So would you bring glory to your name as we look at this text together and work in our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the famous story uh, as we come to in the Gospel of Mark of what's known as the Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician woman. Now, for some of you, if this is your first time through the book of Mark, that term Syrophoenician uh, might be somewhat new to you, but it's in, the, it's in the passage, and so I just want to say it, Syrophoenician. What does that mean? Well, uh, Phoenician refers to the, that region, that famous trading region just north of Israel, and, but there were two Phoenicias in the ancient world. There was another one in Libya, and so the region that she came from was called Syrophoenicia. The Syro refers to Syria. You think of modern-day Syria. But what that clues us into is that she comes from a region that is not part of Israel. She's part of a Gentile region. So this is about the Syrophoenician woman. You may have heard that Jesus elevated women. Whenever we talk about gender, whenever we talk about men and women, somebody will say, well, Jesus has elevated women. And you know what? It is true. And this story is an example of that. But there is more going on in this story than just that. Jesus also elevated people without status, people who had no status in the culture. Jesus elevated them. We've seen this over and over in the Gospel of Mark, and this is another example of how Jesus elevates a person without status. Not only that, there's more. 
Jesus also elevated the Gentiles, as we read about and sang about this morning. That's very significant because God's plan all along was for the gospel to be spread from his Old Testament people through their Messiah to the whole world, and that's how we got here. So he also elevated the Gentiles, and this story is the forerunner of that. So in fact, the Syrophoenician woman's story is also our story. So we're going to look at her story in three parts. We're just going to walk through it, this story. Um, it's a very fascinating story and very engaging. We're going to look at, first of all, her lack of status. Second, we're going to look at her faith. And third, we're going to look at her new status. So when we talk about, first of all, her lack of status, we see her as a person coming to Jesus who does not have a place at the table. So let's talk about that for a minute. Go into the passage and take a look at it, if you would, in your bulletin or in your Bible, starting at verse 24 of Mark 7. Let's set the stage for seeing her lack of status. Verse 24, and from there he, referring to Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now what's significant about this location is that he went northwest of Galilee and he got, went into Gentile territory. Now in an earlier passage in Mark chapter 7, Jesus got involved in a debate with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time about what was clean and what was unclean. They had all these cleanliness laws, so if you went or got around a Gentile, you were unclean. If you got around a woman, you were unclean. And what's interesting about Jesus is he never violated the Ten Commandments, but as uh, someone said, uh, I heard this past week, said that Jesus uh, went out of his way to violate the traditions of the Pharisees. And so that's what takes him into Gentile territory, into Tyre and Sidon. It says he entered a house and yet did not want anyone to, want to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now one of the things that happens all over and over in the Gospels is that Jesus and his disciples just want to get a rest. And so they enter into this house and this house starts off as a place of rest, but it becomes a place of welcome. Remember that about this house, because it says in verse 25, and here she comes, look at this woman without status, verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So she was driven by the fact, by the, the need of her daughter, this was urgent, she had an unclean spirit, she was possessed by a demon having all kinds of effects on her, and isn't it interesting that there is an urgency in this woman's life, that she encounters a crisis in her life and it drives her to Jesus and it drives her to find her place in God's larger story because indeed she does. She starts off with low status, she's got a demon-possessed daughter, she's desperate, and she comes into this house to try to turn to Jesus. Look at verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile. Let's just look at the stuff that was against her. She was a Gentile, therefore unclean. She was second class. Not only that, she was a woman. So even in the Hellenistic, that is the Greek culture where she lived, women were often viewed as dogs. They were treated as second class citizens. So she was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She was a woman. 
In fact, it says, and there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 15 with the same story, but Matthew adds some details that are not here. One of the things he said is that she was a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman. So you think back to Canaan in the Old Testament. These were historic enemies of Israel. So she comes into this house, and not only that, if you go on and read what happens, it says, and she begged him to cast the demon out of, of her daughter. The word begging there is that she is begging and begging. She just keeps on begging because she's so driven by this. She's begging Jesus to do this, and she is loud. So she's got all these strikes against her, but she is driven to Jesus. We know from Matthew's account, back in Matthew chapter 15, a couple of things happened after she got into the house, and she was begging. The first thing we see is that the, the disciples wanted to send her away. They were annoyed by them. The disciples always do this kind of thing. There was another time where they would, they would tell the, the children to go away. In other words, people without status were not welcome in the minds of the disciples. But Jesus doesn't go along with the disciples. We learn from the Matthew 15 account again that at first Jesus was silent. They wanted to send her out, but Jesus didn't want to do that. He was silent. But then you'll notice in this passage that Jesus goes on to tell a little story. Some people regard this as a parable. Look at what Jesus says to her in verse 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now at first glance, and some of you may have noticed this while Joy was reading scripture this morning. At first glance, Jesus appears harsh and insensitive to this Syrophoenician woman. But we're going to see in a moment that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. So if you, if, if, like I would do, and anybody that reads this, this looks harsh, this looks insensitive, the way he responded to her, there's more going on in this story. So think about that again. So we've, let's, talk, let's talk now. We've talked about her status which has been accurately described by Mark in this story. But there is a drama going on here. There is a conversation between this woman and Jesus. So we move on next to her faith. We've seen her low status. Now we go on to her faith. And I want to refer you to a famous pastor and preacher from the 19th century in London by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He was known as the last Puritan. He's one of the most famous preachers of all of church history. Here's what Spurgeon said about the Syrophoenician woman. He says that Jesus is viewing her faith now as a fair jewel. It is like a diamond. And so what's happening here is that as she persists with her faith and as she navigates this conversation, what Mark is doing and what Jesus is doing is holding her faith up to the light like a multifaceted diamond. And that's what's going on in this passage. And so he set that up so that we could see her faith and the genuineness of her faith on display. So let me talk about what's happening here. 
First of all, I would like you to consider the multifaceted beauty of her faith. Kent Hughes, the commentator, talks about these three characteristics of her faith. First of all, her faith is persistent. Her faith is persistent. She's not deterred by the disciples wanting her to leave, and she is not deterred by this parable that Jesus told about the dogs under the table and the crumbs. She is not deterred by that. Her faith is persistent. Now, for those of us today, this side of the cross, who are believers in Christ, we can all learn something about her persistent faith. In August, August 1st to August 31st, we will once again have our August prayer initiative. We invite everybody to sign up for that, and if you sign up for it, you will get a daily email with a brief devotional from Scripture and three prayer requests for that day to pray for the work of the kingdom of God through our church. And one of the things you might wonder when we emphasize prayer, what is going on? Why do we keep on asking? Why do we keep on praying? It's because we can learn from her persistence. Stephen Olford said that prayer is not the overcoming of God's reluctance to give, but it is rather the bringing into adjustment of our will with his will so that he can righteously give what he otherwise would not give. So we see the persistence in her faith, and God calls us as well to persistent faith. If you have a daughter that you're praying for, as she was, if you have a son that you are praying for, if you have a friend or a spouse or another situation that you're praying for, God calls you to persistence in your prayer because he is using that to work in your life. He doesn't always give an instant answer. So what we see here modeled is faith First of all, that is persistent. Secondly, we see here that her faith is humble. Her faith is humble. What do we mean by that? Well, remember Jesus told this parable that said, you don't give the children's food to the dogs. What does she do? She actually responds to this, this characterization. In other words, Jesus is giving a picture of her current status, both in the Gentile world and the Jewish world, and her lack of status. And what she's doing here is she is saying, uh, basically in effect to Jesus, she is not quarreling with the fact that she is a needy person. She is acknowledging her need, and she is depending upon Jesus' grace. Now what's really good about that is if you are if you think about it, how you came to faith in Christ, you didn't come on the basis of your works, you come on, came on the basis of his grace and mercy. Because it wasn't just her, but all of us are needy of salvation. One of the problems that Jesus found, what was different about her faith compared to, say, the Pharisees was their pride kept them from seeing the truth of Jesus. They were blind and they didn't know it. Even the disciples were so slow to hear and slow to believe, but what she is doing, she's coming to Jesus with very humble faith. So this morning, if you're a person who has never put your faith in Christ, you're not yet a Christian, and you hear this message and you hear the gospel, one of the things that God wants you to know is what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who know they're sick, and they need a doctor. Blessed are those who know that they're not worthy and they see salvation as a gift of God's grace and not something that's earned. She's not claiming to deserve it. She's not claiming to earn it. 
That's what's going on here. Her faith is humble. She knows it's all of grace. And then thirdly, a third thing we see about her faith is that her faith is trusting. In other words, it is bold. One of the things that this parable that Jesus told says, the children need to be fed first and not the dogs. But she says, she says, oh no, even the dogs get the crumbs. She is saying, Lord Jesus, I need you now. I want to be fed now. And what she's doing is she's appealing to the grace and the goodness of Jesus in this situation. And she is not gonna give, give up until she gets her way. So when you think of becoming a Christian, again, if you're not yet a believer in Christ, you come before him first with humble faith, but you also come with believing faith, knowing that God has given you promises that you can claim for your salvation. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so if today you're ready to take that step and to become a Christian, it's not about being worthy, it's about humble faith, but you can believe the promise that God sent his son so that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. So we see her beautiful faith like a jewel, faith that is persistent, faith that is humble, and faith that is trusting. And we come finally now to the third point in this passage. We've talked about her former status, that is her lack of status. We've talked about her faith that we can see like a jewel as we go through this story. And now we see her new status. And you guys, this ought to make our jaws drop to see how Jesus has elevated this woman. First of all, we see, look at verse 29. He said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, for the demon has left your daughter. In fact, in Matthew 15, 28, the parallel account, Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So her new status is, right off the bat, her daughter is healed and the demon is gone and the Lord of the universe in contrast to the Pharisees in contrast to the disciples says, oh woman, how great is your faith? Exclamation point. I don't know if they had exclamation points in the Greek but that's what it has in your English standard version. How great is your faith? So that's the first thing about our new status. Her daughter is healed and the demon is gone. But secondly, Secondly, the timeline is moved up. Jesus said, hey, we gotta feed, the, gotta feed the children first and the dogs can't have it. No, that whole time, you know, the Jews and then the Gentiles, the whole timetable is moved up and now this woman has a present place at the table, not just the crumbs. She gets the bread of healing, the healing of her daughter. She gets what she came for. She gets the bread of healing but she also gets the bread of the commendation of Jesus, the approbation of Jesus. Jesus is delighted in her. He's excited about her, and she gets the bread of the approval of Jesus. That is a new status. Thirdly, this woman in her new status becomes an early harbinger of the Gentile mission, which is the mission to the nations and to all of us. William Lane said this about Mark's intention in this story. He said, it is possible that Mark regards 
This episode is a symbol and prophecy of the gospel which will be proclaimed with power to the Gentile world. And so she has found her place. This humble woman, full of faith, driven by the need of her child, finds her place in God's larger story. And I will add this. Uh, I, I realize not everybody here has read the whole Bible but this woman has a sister in the Old Testament. I said at the beginning that Jesus elevated women, but I do not want to communicate by that that, oh, this just started with Jesus, this elevating of women. He did elevate women, but my favorite book is the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, and the Syrophoenician woman has a sister in Ruth because it is such a parallel story. It is a great story to read. And we see God elevating women here and we see this new status. Ruth was the same way. Ruth was a Moabite woman and she had everything taken away from her, but she chose the way of love. She chose to follow God. She chose to persuade Boaz, very similar to what happened here with Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And, she, and Ruth ends up being in the lineage of the Messiah. It's amazing how she finds her place in God's story. So we've seen this woman, her lack of status, her faith, and her new status Close with these applications, and then we'll pray and sing. The first application is a connection to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. It's why we're here. It's what continues to shape us and shape this church. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller about, I didn't want to just use it myself because I think it's a profound thought, but I want to give... Um, attribution here, but listen to this quote. He writes, on the cross, the child of God was thrown away, that is the son of God, Jesus, cast away from the table without a crumb, so that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in. Put another way, the child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at the table, and that is why we have a place at the table despite our lack of status. Number two application, the Syrophoenician woman is a model of faith for all of us. So think about your life. Think about your prayer life and her persistence. Think about her humility and her faith. Think about her confidence. And then the third application I think is very profound. We could spend a lot of time talking about this, but it really is an application for our church over the years. That house entire that Jesus went to, he said it was a place of rest and a place of welcome. The house entire is a model for the house of God and for your home and my home. But it is a model for the house of God. The house entire is a place of rest. As we gather here to worship, it's a place of rest, but it is also a place of welcome. Our society today has its status symbols, success, popularity, wealth, education, upbringing. But these as status symbols have no place in the house of God, where there is to be no partiality, where all is of grace. So we welcome 
in this church, in the house of God, like the house at Tyre. We welcome all to the table because Christ has welcomed us to the table and given us bread. Let's pray together. Lord, when we look at this faith of the woman, when we look at the diamond jewel of her faith and we see the beauty of it, we are challenged, we are encouraged by it. And we see her as a model of faith for all of us, Lord, that because she came trusting you for a place at the table, you have given all of us, despite our lack of status, a place at your table. Lord, may we, as the house of God, as your church, offer the bread that we have given, even in this day, with the challenges of our culture around us, even in this day, may we offer the bread you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.